Chapter Fifteen of the Old Maids Club by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: The Mysterious Advertiser. Junior Widows Club, Midnight. Dear Miss Dulcimer, just a line to tell you what a lovely evening we have had. The baronet seemed greatly taken with Miss Jack, and she with him, and they behaved in a conventional manner guy and i were able to have a real long chat and he told me all his troubles it appears that he has just been thrown over by his promised bride under circumstances of a most peculiar character i gave him the sympathy he needed but at the same time thought to myself aha here is another member for the old maids club you rely on me i will build you up a phalanx of old maids that shall just swamp the memory of hippolyte and her amazons i got out of guy the name and address of the girl who jilted him i shall call upon miss sybil hotspur the first thing in the morning and if i do not land her my name is not yours cheerily wee winnie this may be awkward said the honorary trier returning the letter to the president miss nimrod seems to take her own election for granted and to think that we are anxious for members added lily well we ought to have somebody to replace miss jack said silverdale with a suspicion of a smile but do you propose to accept wee winnie i don't know she is certainly a remarkable girl such originality and individuality suppose we let things slide a little very well we will not commit ourselves yet by saying anything to miss nim miss nimrod announced turple the magnificent aha here are we again cried wee winnie how are you everybody how is the old gentleman isn't he here he is very well thank you but he is not one of us said lily oh well anyhow i've got another of us miss sybil hotspur the same i found her raging like a volcano what smoking queried silverdale no no she is one of the old sort she merely fumes said wee winnie laughing as if she had made a joke she was raving against the infidelity of men poor guy how his ears must have tingled he has sent her a long explanation but she laughs it to scorn i persuaded her to let you see it it is so quaint have you it with you asked lily eagerly her appetite for tales of real life was growing by what it fed upon yes here is his letter several choirs long but before you can understand it you must know how the breach came about lord silverdale pass miss nimrod the chocolate creams or would you like some lemonade lemonade by all means replied wee winnie taking up her favorite attitude astride the sofa with just a wee drappy of whiskey in it if you please i dare say i shall be as dry as a lime kiln before i finished the story and read you this letter turple the magnificent duly attended to miss nimrod's wants whatever he felt he made no sign he was simply turple the magnificent one fine day said wee winnie or rather one day that began fine a merry party made an excursion into the country sybil hotspur and her fiance guy fledgely 
and of course the baronet were of the party after picnicking on the grass the party broke up into twos till tea-time the baronet was good enough to pair off with an unattached young lady and so sybil and guy were free to wander away into a copse the sun was very hot and the young man had not spared the fizz first he took off his coat to be cooler then with an afterthought he converted it into a pillow and went to sleep meantime sybil under the protection of her parasol steadily pursued one of adipur's early works chaster in style than in substance and sneering in exquisitely chiselled epigrams at the weaknesses of his sex sybil stole an involuntary glance at guy sleeping so peacefully like a babe in the wood with the squirrels peeping at him trustfully she felt that adipur was a jaundiced cynic that her guy at least would be faithful unto death at that instant she saw a folded sheet of paper on the ground near guy's shoulder it might have slipped from the inner pocket of the coat on which his head was resting but if it had she could not put it back without disturbing his slumbers besides it might not belong to him at all she picked up the paper opened it and turned pale as death this is what she read manager of daily hurrygraph please insert enclosed stories in order named on alternate days commencing today week postal order enclosed one dearest 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 remember the grotto popsy two dearest 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 this is worse than silence sobs are cheap today popsy three dearest 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 only anastasia and the dog thought i should have died cruel heart hope on the white band of hope watchman what of the night shall we say eleven fifteen from paddington since the sea will not give up its dead i have drained the dregs the rest is silence answer to-morrow or i shall dream my weird popsy there was no signature to the letter but the writing was that which had hitherto borne to poor sybil the daily assurances of her lover's devotion she looked at the sleeping traitor so savagely that he moved uncomfortably even in his sleep like a serpent that scrap of paper had entered into her eden and she put it in her bosom that it might sting her unnoticed the shadows had been lengthening the sky had grown gray as if in harmony with her blighted hopes roughly she roused the sleeper and hastily they wended their way back to the rendezvous to find tea just over and the rush to the station just beginning there was no time to talk till they were seated face to face in the railway carriage the party had just caught the train and bundling in anyhow had become separated sybil and guy were alone again then sybil plucked from her breast the serpent and held it up guy she said what is this he turned pale w where did you get that from he stammered what is this she repeated and read in unsympathetic accents dearest 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 remember the grotto popsy who is dearest she continued you of course he said with ghastly playfulness indeed then allow me to say sir i will remember the grotto i shall never forget it popsy 
if you wish to communicate with me a penny postage stamp is i believe adequate perhaps i am also anastasia to say nothing of the dog or shall we say the eleven fifteen from paddington popsy sybil darling he broke in piteously give me back that paper you wouldn't understand sybil silently replaced the serpent in her bosom and leant back haughtily i can explain all he cried wildly i am listening sybil said the fact is i-i-the young man flushed and stammered sybil's pursed lips gave him no assistance it may seem incredible you will not believe it sybil made no sign i-i am the victim of a disease sybil stared scornfully i-i don't look at me like that or i can't tell you i-i-i didn't like to tell you before but i always knew you would have to know some day perhaps it is better it has come out before our marriage listen the young man leant over and breathed solemnly in her ear i suffer from an hereditary tendency to advertise in the agony column sybil made no reply the train drew up at a station without a word sybil left the carriage and rejoined her friends in the next compartment what an extraordinary excuse exclaimed lily so sybil thought replied wee winnie from that day to this almost a week she has never spoken to him and yet guy persists in his explanation even to me which is so superfluous that i am almost inclined to believe in its truth at any rate i will now read you his letter dear sybil perhaps for the last time i address you thus for if after reading this you still refuse to believe me i shall not trespass upon your patience again but for the sake of our past love i beg you to read what follows in a trusting spirit and if not in a trusting spirit at least to read it it is the story of how my father became a baronet and when you know that you will perhaps learn to pity and to bear with me when a young man my father was bitten by the passion for contributing to the agony column some young men spend their money in one way some in another this was my father's dissipation he loved to insert mysterious words and sentences in the advertisement columns of the newspapers so as to enjoy the sensation of giving food for speculation to a whole people to sit quietly at home and with a stroke of the pen influence the thoughts of millions of his countrymen this gave my father the keenest satisfaction when you come to analyze it what more does the greatest author do the agony column is the royal road to successful authorship if the publication of fiction in leading newspapers be any test of success for my father used sometimes to conduct whole romances by correspondence after the fashion of the then reigning wilkie collins and the agony column is also the most innocuous method for satisfying that crave for supplying topics of conversation which sometimes leads people to crime i make this analysis to show you that there was no antecedent improbability about what you seem to consider a wild excuse the desire to contribute to this department of journalism is no isolated psychical freak 
it is related to many other manifestations of mental activity and is perfectly intelligible but this desire like every other may be given its head till it runs away with the whole man so it was with my father he began half in fun with a small advertisement one insertion unfortunately or fortunately he made a little hit with it he heard two men discussing it in a cafe the next week he tried again unsuccessfully this time so far as he knew but the third advertisement was again a topic of conversation even in his own office he was training for an architect he heard the fellows saying did you see that funny advertisement this morning be careful not to break the baby you can imagine how intoxicating this sort of thing is and how the craving for the secret enjoyment it brings may grow on a man gradually my father became the victim of a passion fiercer than the gambler's yet akin to it for he never knew whether his money would procure him the gratification he yearned for or not it was all a fluke the most promising mysteries would attract no attention and even a carefully planned novelette that ran for a week with as many as three characters intervening would fall stillborn upon the tapis of conversation but every failure only spurred him to fresh effort all his spare coin all his savings went into the tills of the newspaper cashiers he cut down his expenses to the uttermost farthing living abstemiously and dressing almost shabbily and sacrificing everything to his ambitions it was lucky he was not in a bank for he had only a moderate income and who knows to what he might have been driven at last my father struck oil tired of the unfruitful field of romance whose best days seemed to be over my father returned to that rudimentary literature which pleases the widest number of readers while it has the never-failing charm of the primitive for the jaded disciples of culture he wrote only polysyllabic unintelligibilities thus for a whole week in every morning agony column he published in large capitals the word paddlepintosephiroskedadipoid this was an instantaneous success but it was only a success d'esteem people talked of it but they could not remember it it had no seeds of permanence in it it could never be more than a nine days wonder it was an artificial esoteric novelty that might please the cliques but could never touch the masses it lacked the simplicity of real greatness that unmistakable elemental cachet which commends things to the great heart of the people after a bit this dawned upon my father and profiting by his experience he determined to create something which should be immortal for days he racked his brains unable to please himself he had the critical fastidiousness of a true artist and his ideal ever hovered before him unseizable grotesque words floated about him in abundance every current of air brought him new suggestions he lived in a world of strange sounds but the great combination came not late one night as he sat brooding by his dying fire there came a sudden rapping at his chamber door a flash of joy illumined his face he started to his feet i have it he cried 
have what said his friend marple bursting into the room without further parley influenza surlily answered my father for he was not to be caught napping and marple went away hurriedly marple was something in the city the two young men were great friends but there are some things which cannot be told even to friends it was not influenza my father had got to his fevered onomatopoeic fancy marple's quick quadruple rap had translated itself into the word allotutu at this hour of the day my dear sibyl it is superfluous to say anything about this word with which you have been familiar from your cradle it has now been before the public over a quarter of a century and it has long since won immortality little did you think when we sat in the railway carriage yesterday that the allotutu that glared at you from the partition was the faraway cause of the cloud now hanging over our lives but it may be interesting to you to learn that in the early days many people put the accent on the second syllable whereas all the world now knows the accent is on the first and the o of all is short when my father found he had set the thames on fire he was almost beside himself with joy at the office the clerks in the intervals of wondering about allotutu wondered if he had come into a fortune he determined to follow up his success to back the winning word to consecrate his life to allotutu to put all his money on it thenceforwards for the next three months you very rarely opened a paper without seeing the word olotutu it stood always by itself self-complete and independent rigid and austere in provoking sphinx-like solitude sibyl imagine to yourself my father's rapture to be the one man in all england who had the clue to the enigma of olotutu at last the burden of his secret became intolerable he felt he must breathe a hint of it or die one night while marple was smoking in his rooms and wondering about allotutu my father proudly told him all great heavens exclaimed marple tip us your flipper old man you are a millionaire a what gasped my father a millionaire are you a lunatic are you an idiot don't you see that there is a fortune in allotutu a fortune how by bringing it out as a joint stock company but 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 you don't understand allotutu is only only an income for life interrupted marple excitedly look here old boy i'll get you up a syndicate to run it in twenty-four hours do you mean to say no i mean to do i'm an ass not to quietly annex it all to myself but i always said i was too honest for the city give me allotutu and we'll divide the profits glory hooray he capered about the floor wildly but what profits where from asked my father still unenlightened for outside architecture he was a greenhorn marple sang the ba 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 boodle dee of the day and continued his wild career my father seized him by the throat and pushed him into a chair speak man he cried agitatedly stop your tomfoolery and talk sense i am talking sense which is better said marple with a boisterous burst of laughter 
a word that all the world is talking about is a gold mine a real gold mine i mean not one on a prospectus don't you see that olotutu is a household word and that everybody imagines it is the name of some new patent something which the proprietor has been keeping dark i did myself when at last olotutu is put upon the market it will come into the world under a fierce light that beats upon a boom and it will be snapped up like currant cake at a tea fight why nemo's fruit pepper which has been on every hoarding for twenty years is not half so much talked about as olotutu what you achieved is an immense preliminary advertisement and you were calmly thinking of stopping there within sight of pactolus i had achieved my end replied my father with dignity art for art's sake i did not work for money then you refuse half the profits oh no no if the artist's work brings him money he cannot help it i think i catch your idea now you wish to put some commodity upon the market attached to the name of alatutu we have a pedestal but no statue a cloak but nothing to cover we shall have plenty to cover soon observed marple winking and he sat himself unceremoniously at my writing desk and began scribbling away for dear life i suppose then went on my father we shall have to get a hold of some article and manufacture it nonsense jerked marple where are we to get the capital from oh i see you will get the syndicate to do it good gracious man yelped marple do you suppose the syndicate will have any capital let me write in peace but who is going to manufacture olotutu then persisted my father the british public of course thundered marple my father was silenced the feverish scratching of marple's pen continued working my father up to an indescribable nervous tension but what will olotutu be he inquired at last a patent medicine a tobacco a soap a mine a comic paper a beverage a tooth powder a hair restorer look here old man roared marple how do you expect me to bother about details this thing has got to be worked at once the best part of the company's season is already over but olotutu is going to make it up mark my words the shares of olotutu will be at a premium on the day of issue another sheet of paper quick what for i want to write to a firm of chartered accountants and valuers to get an estimate of the profits an estimate of the profits don't talk like a parrot but how can they estimate the profits how what do you suppose they're chartered for you or i couldn't do it of course not but it's the business of accountants that's what they're for pass me more writing paper reams of it marple spent the whole of that night writing letters to what he called his tame guinea pigs and the very next day large bills bearing the solitary word olotutu were posted up all over london till the public curiosity mounted to frenzy the bill posters earned many a half crown by misinforming the inquisitive marple worked like a horse first he drew up the prospectus leaving blanks for the board of directors of the company then he filled up the blanks it was not easy 
one lord was only induced to serve on marple's convincing representations of the good olotutu would do to the masses when the board was complete marple had still to get the syndicate from which the directors were to acquire olotutu but he left this till the end knowing there would be no difficulty there i have never been able to gather from my father exactly what went on nor does my father profess to know exactly himself but he tells with regret how he used to worry marple daily by inquiring if he had yet decided what olotutu was to be as if marple had not his hands full enough without that marple turned round on him one day and shrieked that's your affair not mine you're selling olotutu to me aren't you i can't be buyer and seller too this by the way does not seem to be as impossible as it sounds for according to my father when the company came out marple bought and sold olotutu in the most mysterious manner rigging the market watering the shares cornering the bears and doing other extraordinary things each and all at a profit he was not satisfied with his share of the price paid for olotutu by the syndicate nor with his share of the enormously higher price paid to the syndicate by the public but went in for stock exchange manoeuvres six deep coming out an easy winner on settling day one of my father's most treasured collections is the complete set of proofs of the prospectus it went through thirteen editions before it reached the public no author could revise his work more lovingly than marple revised that prospectus what tales printers could tell to be sure the most noticeable variations in the text of my father's collection are the omission or addition of ciphers some of the additions have one hundred twenty thousand pounds for the share capital of the company where others have one million two hundred thousand pounds and others twelve thousand pounds sometimes the directors appear to have extenuated not sometimes to have set down not in malice as for the number of debenture shares the amounts to be paid up on allotment the contracts with divers obscure individuals the number of shares to be taken up by the directors and the number to be accepted by the vendors in part payment these vary indefinitely but in no addition not even in those still void of the names of the directors do the profits guaranteed by the directors fall below twenty five per cent sometimes the complex and brain-baffling calculations that fill page three result in a bigger profit sometimes in a smaller but they are always cheering to contemplate there is not very much about olotutu itself even in the last edition but from the very first there is a great deal about the power of the company to manufacture import export and deal in all kinds of materials commodities and articles necessary for and useful in carrying on the same to carry on any other operations or business which the company might from time to time deem expedient in connection with its main business for the time being to purchase take and exchange or on lease hire or otherwise in any part of the world for any estate or interests any lands factories buildings easements patent rights brands and trademarks concessions privileges machinery plant stock in trade utensils necessary or convenient for the purposes of the company 
or to sell exchange let or rent royalty share of profits or otherwise use and grant licenses easements and other rights of and over and in any other manner deal with or dispose of the whole or any part of the undertaking business and property of the company and in consideration to accept cash or shares stock debenture or securities of any company whose objects were or included objects similar to those of the company the actual nature of olotutu does not seem to have been settled till the ninth edition but all the editions include the analyst's report certifying that olotutu contains no injurious ingredients and is far purer and safer than any other here there was a blank in the first eight editions in the market from this it is evident that marple has made up his mind to something chemical though it is equally apparent that he kept an open mind regards its precise character for in the ninth edition the blank is filled up with purgative in the tenth with meat extract in the eleventh with hair dye in the twelfth with cod liver oil and it is only in the thirteenth edition that the final decision seems to have been arrived at in favour of soap this of course my dear sibyl you already know indeed if i mistake not olotutu the only absolutely scentless soap on the market is your own pet soap i hope it will not shock you too much if i tell you in the strictest confidence that except in price stamp and copious paper wrapping olotutu is simply bars of yellow soap chopped small it was here perhaps that marple's genius showed to the highest advantage the public was overdone with patent scented soaps there seemed something unhealthy or at least mollycoddling about their use the time was ripe for return to the rude and primitive absolutely scentless became the trademark of olotutu and the public being absolutely senseless pache my dear sibyl somehow concluded that because the soap was devoid of scent it was impregnated with sanitation is there need to prolong the story my father so unexpectedly enriched abandoned architecture and married almost immediately soon he became the idol of a popular constituency and voting steadily with his party was made a baronet i was born a few months after the first dividend was announced it was a dividend of thirty-three per cent for olotutu had become an indispensable adjunct to every toilet table and the financial papers published leaders boasting of having put their clients up to a good thing and olotutu was on everybody's tongue and got into everybody's eyes can you wonder then that i was born with a congenital craving for springing mysteries upon the public can you still disbelieve that i suffer from an hereditary tendency to advertise in the agony column at periodic intervals an irresistible prompting to force uncouth words upon the universal consciousness seizes me at other times i am driven to beguile the public with pseudo-sensational communications to imaginary personages it was fortunate my father early discovered my penchant and told me the story of his life for i think the very knowledge that i am the victim of heredity helps me to defy my own instincts no man likes to feel he is the shuttlecock of blind forces still they are occasionally too strong for me 
and my present attack has been unusually severe and protracted. I have been passing through my father's early phases, and conducting romances by correspondence. Complimentary to the series of messages signed Popsy, I had prepared a series signed Wopsy to go in on alternate days, and if you had only continued your search in my coat pocket, you would have discovered these proofs of my innocence. May I trust it is now re-established, and that Olatutu has washed away the apparent stain on my character? With anxious heart I await your reply. Ever yours devotedly, Guy. Sybil's reply was, I have read your letter, do not write to me again. She was so set against him, concluded Miss Nimrod, she would not even write this, but wired it. Then she does not believe the story of how Guy Fledgley's father became a baronet, said Lord Silverdale. She does not. She says Olatutu won't wash stains. Well, I suppose you will be bringing her up, said the President. I will, in the way she should go, answered Wee Winnie. Today is Saturday. I will bring her on Monday. Meantime, as it is getting very late, and as I have finished my lemonade, I will bid you good afternoon. Have you used Olatutu? And with this facetious inquiry, Miss Nimrod twirled her stick and was off. An hour later, Lily received a wire from Wee Winnie. Olatutu, wretches just reconciled. Letter follows. And this was the letter that came by the first post on Monday. My poor president, we have lost Sybil. She takes in the hurrygraph and reads the agony column religiously. So all the week she has been exposed to a terrible bombardment. As thus, Tuesday. My lost darling, a thousand demons are knocking at my door. Say you will forgive me, or I will let them in. Bobo. Or thus, Wednesday. My lost darling, you are making a terrible mistake. I am innocent. I am writing this on my bended knees. The fathers have eaten a sour grape. Misericordia. Bobo. The bitter cry of the outcast lover increased daily in intensity, till on Saturday it became delirious. My lost darling, save, oh, save! I have opened the door. They are there, in their thousands. The children's teeth are set on edge. The grave is dug. Betwixt two worlds I fall to the ground. Adieu for ever, Bobo. Will you believe that the poor little fool thought all this was meant for her, and that in consequence she thawed day by day, till on Saturday she melted entirely and gushed on Guy's shoulder? Guy admitted that he had inserted these advertisements, but he did not tell her, as he afterwards told me in confidence, and as I now tell you in confidence, that they had been sent in before the quarrel occurred, and constituted his agony column romance for the week, the popsy-wopsy romance not being intended for publication till next week. He had concocted these cries of despairing passion without the least idea they would so nearly cover his own case, but he says that as his hereditary craze got him into the scrape, it was only fair his hereditary craze should get him out of it. So that's the end of Sybil Hotspur. But let us not lament her too much. One so frail and fickle was not of the stuff of which old maids are made. 
courage we winnie is on the warpath yours affectionately nelly end of chapter 15